Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. And a big thanks to Kush's Bayou Rouge, who allows us to bring this program your way commercial free. In business over 16 years here in Tallahassee, tabbed best of Tallahassee by Tallahassee Magazine four straight years, Tommy, and six out of the last seven. And I got to set the record straight here. So I married into uh, somebody from New Orleans. Outkick my coverage as many of us did. It's not about temperature. Is that where you're going? It, it is because I think there's a, a misnomer out there that Cajun food means it's hot and it doesn't. What it means is it's flavorful and it's doggone good. And trust me, I spent a lot of time because of said wife, Laura, who is from New Orleans uh, at Kusha's Bayou Rouge. So I encourage you guys to do the same. And uh, they're open seven days a week, have breakfast uh, Wednesday through Sunday. I get there often with my son, Garrett. You should go as well. Make it a Sunday staple. That's what the uh, FSU football coaching staff has done. Matter of fact, Kusha's caters for the coaching staff uh, every Sunday during this football season. They break down the tape and get set for uh, the next opponent. So, again, thanks to Kusha's. They are on Thomasville Road at, on the west side just past Cary Forest. Now, with that said, here's Front Row Knowles, Seminole Sunday. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles, Seminole Sunday with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles, Seminole Sunday. And Keith, it's not just a good day, it's a great day because anytime Florida State beats Florida, especially in Gainesville, it makes it a great day. Plus, this is day one of 364 days that will continue to be great. Uh, because if you've ever been around this rival, you, rivalry, you know that it lasts all year long, all year round. And uh, Florida State victorious down in Gainesville uh, yesterday makes the next 365 real pleasurable. I feel like uh, I should add this disclaimer, which I probably don't need to do, given that our, given that our audience knows us. But... This next hour conversation does not dismiss the fact that Florida State has not had the season that it wanted to have, that it has lots of warts on this football team, and that it has more talent than what its ultimate record will be. That said, Florida State went to Gainesville, and I made this comment to you and some of the other radio crews, Gene and uh, radio crew members, Gene and others, as we were driving back from Gainesville. Having been a part of this rivalry in the 90s, when both teams were on top, and it was next to impossible to win in Gainesville. I mean, Florida State won in Gainesville in 93 when they had a national championship team and in 99 when they had a national championship team. So to think that FSU has won four consecutive games at Florida Field, I'm not going to take that lightly. I'm going to enjoy it. Well, plus the other perspective is in addition to those four consecutive in Gainesville, this is the first time that Florida State has defeated Florida five consecutive games. It had been done three previous times, four games in a row, but never five games in a row. And so this group uh, adds that to their uh, uh, list of accomplishments. And you're exactly right. Playing in Gainesville it has never been easy. Uh, and in certain times it's been impossible to win down there. Uh, to have that consecutive streak continue, to have the games, uh, five consecutive wins in a row, uh, home and away, continue. Um, I mean, it's just a good day. It's a good day, Tommy. A good day. Exactly. That's where we started this show. See, we're in a good mood, folks. Going to be a good, going to be a good week. It's also uh, it keeps Florida State alive for a couple of streaks that mean a lot to folks like you and William Floyd, who we work with, and others that played for Florida State, but also people that have been fans and followers and supporters of the program for a long time. Yeah, you're five and six right now, but you've got one more game, and if you win it against a team that you should beat, it's Louisiana Monroe at home, 
you're going to go to a bowl for the 36th consecutive year, which will break a tie with Nebraska, and you'll be the outright owner of the longest bowl streak in the history of college football. And a streak that candidly is up there with uh, Joe DiMaggio's consecutive uh, game hit streak, uh, hits in a game streak. I don't know that this streak will ever be matched, certainly not broken, uh, the way college football and parity is today. So uh, it's very, very important. I think the last couple of weeks this squad, the 2017 squad, has heard from enough former athletes, has heard enough from the coaches to understand how significant this is to the program. Uh, They've embraced it. Uh, You certainly hear them talking about it, and you're exactly right. Uh, You come back out, mind your P's and Q's six days from now in Doak Campbell, get that win over ULM, and you're going to continue and hold something that, that may be the mark that never gets equaled in college football ever again. We'll talk about... Louisiana Monroe on Wednesday. We'll talk about bowl possibilities on Wednesday and later on in this program. You know the drill, folks. We'll have a, a segment on the offense, segment on the defense, but I feel like we need to tip our cap to the defense now. For all the flack that the defense has received this year, save for a long drive just before halftime that got Florida back into the game a little, in a, a little bit because Florida was ready to quit. Uh, so that gave them a little life to get them into the second half. But I, when the defense forces four turnovers – gets five sacks, scores two touchdowns, should have been a third. Say what you want about Matthew Thomas on that play. Uh, you got to tip your cap to him. And I know it's a bad Florida offense, but that said, Florida State has played other teams that aren't exactly uh, you know, the top offenses in the history of college football, and they've had breakdowns at times. They didn't yesterday, so congratulations. 280 yards of total offense. You mentioned the turnovers, the, the points that they put on the board themselves. Uh, after as much uh, criticism as Charles Kelly has taken, uh, as much criticism as the other assistant coaches, the players themselves have taken from various fringes of the uh, Florida State faithful, uh, it was a it was heartwarming because that was a big stage. It's a, it's your rival. Uh, you were expected to do that against Delaware State. You were questioning whether you could do that against Florida. Yes, we can acknowledge that Florida's quarterback position uh, has not performed well. Yes, we can acknowledge that Florida's offense hasn't performed well. But I don't care. I don't care. It's Florida. And we've been down there, and in Tallahassee for that matter, and seen great Florida State defenses give up 45 and 47 to the Gators. Uh, to be able to hold them to 22, to, to, to be able to hold them to 280, to be able to score points yourself, uh, and, and you take away uh, you know those couple of long drives, Florida's total offense would have been well under 200. Uh, my hat's off to this defensive unit. They played collectively. They played well. They, they capitalized on opportunities. Yeah, they made some dumb mistakes. Uh, Thomas is being probably the dumbest of all of them. But uh, my hat's off to them. They performed well. We need one more game out of them and a bowl game. And then let's measure how this 2017 defense measures up. To your point, lesser Florida teams have beaten better FSU teams, and lesser FSU teams have beaten better Florida teams. So if we can agree that they were equal at 4-6 and six going in, we'll take the win, and we'll listen to Jimbo Fisher now, courtesy of Seminoles.com, in terms of his comments. Jimbo, by the way, now 7-1 and one against the Gators in his time as FSU's head coach, which is not insignificant. Again, Seminoles.com, your source for Seminole sports. Let's take a listen. All right. Um, first of all, I'd like to say it's, it's a great honor to be part of this rivalry. I mean, this is, uh, no matter what, even though the records weren't where we were before, it's still Florida State, Florida. It means a lot. I'm very proud of our kids, the way they competed in the game. Had a lot of heart, didn't always play well, 
but our defense, I thought, was outstanding on the day, creating opportunities, scoring points, uh, making turnovers, creating field position at times. Offense were very opportunistic, scoring touchdowns when we got down there, finishing drives, doing the things we had to do, left some things on the table on offense, some drop balls, opportunities in which we should have made. But at the same time, I was very proud of him. James was awesome in the game. I thought he played for a young freshman to come in this environment. I thought he handled it well. Even the turnover wasn't nothing he could do. He hits the guy in the hands with the ball. Unfortunately, to come up with a, with a pick. But, you know, very proud of our guys. Our defense is outstanding. I thought Logan Tyler was outstanding on the day, punting the football, controlling field position, getting us out when we were backed up. But, uh, you know, again, we still got one more. This season isn't over. We, we put ourselves in a position to, to keep 40 and 35 alive, which is extremely important to all those kids and everybody that's ever played here and ever will play here. And uh, still got, you know, it's very easy to look past something like this after a big emotional win. We got to get back and get going. But very proud of our guys in that regard. But our guys, again, competed very hard, very blessed to be a part of this great rivalry. Uh, again, our defense, I thought, was outstanding. Offensively, I thought Jacques Patrick really made some big plays. And James did. I mean, the touchdown throw at the end, the big, the big one was a third and nine or 10 where he dumps it down to the back and finds his check down on a third read. You talk about maturity and growing, you know, and when he could have been trying to make a play. We, uh, then he comes back, we try, we have a play that we have open. It's a big, we had set up all week and they get a sack on it. We come right back on second down and man, we're, we got a call the other side and he reads his backside read and hits uh, Ermin Lane right down the seam for about a 40 yarder down the seam. The maturity he showed in those big moments, I was extremely proud of. It was great to see Ermin make a play and, and those guys just battled. But our kids battled, they fought hard and uh, put ourselves in position, still have a possibility to go to bowl game. Those are the comments of Jimbo Fisher. And, you know, Jimbo made it a point, and he sort of chastised the media, which I, I can't say that I agree with him in this because the power of the pen can come back to bite you. But his point is that when, when you start a season with expectations of making the college football playoff or winning a national title, and you don't get there, and we've known for weeks now that Florida State is not going to get there, there still are other things to play for. Nate Andrews will finish his career 5-0 and against Florida. Everybody else that's a senior on that team will be 4-0 and against Florida. I may have left out a redshirt freshman that's also 5-0. and The bowl streak may still live. The, the uh, consecutive seasons without a, a losing season will still live. That's not insignificant. And, and, Tommy, to be fair, those are the things you talk about. Uh, you don't necessarily talk about individual games or, you know, bowl wins. Certainly you'll talk about a national championship game that you've won. Uh, you'll you'll talk about a, a New Year's Six uh, bowl game that you played in. But when we get together 10 years and 20 years and 30 years after the fact, we talk about the Florida and Miami game, and we talk about our overall record. Uh, those are the things that mean something to you as a father and a grandfather on down the road. It's hard to impress upon 18- to 22-year-olds the significance of that. Uh, the, really, the only way they can learn that is as they grow and mature themselves. But the reality is... That's what's important. Rivalry games and, and what your squad did as a unit. And, and, you know, if you can be a part of a consecutive win streak, a consecutive bowl streak, or consecutive times uh, defeating your rival, those are the lasting memories that you have with you. And this group, uh, as we mentioned at the outset, the first to do it. Uh, Florida State never beaten four or five times in a row, and, and they're the first to do it. Uh, so they get to claim that as well. Uh, those are the things you talk about when you get older. Well, and if you want to look, if your glass is half uh, half empty, uh, then you can just tell your Gator friends that the worst FSU team in 40 years just beat Florida in Gainesville, if that's the way you want to look at it. Technically, and we'll see how this team finishes up, they still have one more this week, and if they can get a bowl win, they'll be 7-6. and six. I would tell you that this team at 7-6 and six is better than the, the, the couple of additions at the end of Bobby's year that went 7-6, and six, just from a talent standpoint. 
But at the end of the day, your record is what your record is, and the best this team can do is be seven and six. Well, and this is also a team that uh, maybe, just maybe, ends up seven and six, and at one point late in the schedule had lost to the number one, the number two, and the number three teams in the country, and by most consensus have played the either the toughest or the second toughest schedule in the country. And so, yeah, there's some seven and six teams that were lesser. Uh, there's probably not a seven and six team that, uh, if everything's said and done and you get through with it, that you have a chance to be more proud of. Florida State gets the win over the Gators. We are just getting started here on Primetime Knowles Seminole Sunday. I'll remind you that you should uh, head north on Thomasville Road, past Cary Forest, past the Walmart. That's a free plug there. Look on your left, and you'll see Koosh's Bayou Rouge a little bit further down the road. And uh, stop in. Tell Koosh that we said hello. Uh, enjoy your Sunday. If you like breakfast, brunch, you need to visit them Wednesday through Sunday. They've got uh, terrific food. It's Cajun, which doesn't mean spicy. It means delicious and uh, I invite you uh, to head down to Kush's and thank them for being a sponsor of uh, our program all season long. All right, we'll step aside, come back. Defense uh, earned it. We'll talk defense next and first on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Four turnovers forced by that Florida State defense, two scores. Should have been a third score if not for the celebration uh, that was premature by Matthew Thomas, but really set the tone in this game. I mean, right right from the get-go, early in the first quarter, Brian Burns forces a fumble. It takes a senior day hop for Jacob Pugh, and it wasn't his senior day. It was the Gators' senior day. And uh, from there, FSU just continued to excel and, and put the pressure on defensively. Five sacks were registered in the ball game. ten tackles for a loss in total. How about these two little stats you don't talk about much? Uh, there were seven pass breakups, seven PBUs, and in addition to the sacks, there were eight quarterback hurries. Uh, Felipe Franks uh, spent the majority of his time running for his life, throwing for his life. Yeah, there were some breakdowns and some zone coverage, and the Gators took advantage of that. But one of the things we talked about going into the ball game is while this Florida State, excuse me, Florida offense had not performed very well, they still had some athletes. Uh, they've got some players. I mean, they're, 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 they recruit well, uh, just like FSU does. Uh, they just haven't been able to put it together and certainly haven't had quarterback play to assist them in that. But this Florida State defense, I thought, um, you know, really managed the game. And I think you'd have to say it starts with the front. Uh, FSU really dominated at the line of scrimmage. I know Florida got some rushing yardage. Uh, during the ball game, and I know through about three quarters they they controlled the uh, time of possession, but it wasn't like they were gashing Florida State with that rushing attack, and they certainly weren't able to put together long drives with save uh, the one at the in the second quarter, and then one final one. Uh, it was a longer drive in a short period of time in the fourth quarter. Uh, you you've got to say Florida State won that battle, and uh, Charles Kelly and his group uh, deserve a whole lot of credit. You know the fact that Florida State played from ahead on the road. That's not insignificant either because now now there were empty seats in Florida Field, and I haven't seen that very frequently, but uh, it was not a full stadium, not as loud as, as maybe it would be if Florida was rolling. But that said, when you get a defensive score early, that shuts up the home crowd, and, and that was a factor. Well, one of the things we talk about that you have to do when you go into hostile territory is is control the clock. You usually do that with the running game, and, and Florida State – you know, didn't do as much of that because they didn't have to. They were scoring on defense and they were scoring on a short field. But the second part of it is if you can create some turnovers and if you can create some turnovers where your defense scores, 
even though you're giving the ball right back to the opponent's offense, it just takes the wind out of that crowd. And Florida Field was not nearly as intimidating as you and I have seen it over the 30, 35 years that we've covered these games. And that's a direct result, a direct credit to this Florida State defense. All right, we're going to hear from him in just a little bit. But uh, one guy that had never had an interception in his FSU career came up with not one but two, and that's Levante Taylor, and kudos to him. One of them was a pick six. Obviously, film study paid off. You'll hear about that in a minute. But uh, And, again, Franks has struggled at the quarterback position, but when the plays are there to be made, you have to make them, and so tip the cap, he made them. Exactly, and that's what Florida State had not done. There had been some opportunities in the in the season for Florida State to get some interceptions, uh, certainly in the Clemson game, to pick up a fumble and potentially even score from a long ways away. When those opportunities presented themselves in the Florida game, FSU took advantage of them, and uh, I think that has a lot to do with continue reminding by the coaches uh, work during the, the, the week. Uh, Charles Kelly has told us the last couple of three or four weeks they've worked very hard on turnovers, uh, maybe even to the point where they've overemphasized them, and that can be a, a problem too because uh, you can get frustrated if the opportunities don't present themselves. But when they did at Florida Field, uh, FSU's defense took care, uh, advantage of them, and uh, you know that that's all part of – putting together a game plan and executing a game plan when the opportunities present themselves, particularly when you're in hostile territory. Let's take a listen now to uh, Levante Taylor, who uh, got a taste of uh, this rivalry in his first two years. This is his second year as a sophomore, but his first couple of interceptions, and obviously one of them, well, one of them led to the touchdown on the post throw to Nooney Murray that made it 14-7. Then shortly thereafter, Florida State with the pick six got up 24-7. to Let's listen now to uh, Levante after his big, big day. I'm here with one of the heroes, Levante Taylor. He got a couple of interceptions. Congratulations to you. Walk me through the uh, the first one, your first career INT. Just uh, talk about the play and uh, the defense you were in. Okay, uh, we were in man coverage, and I seen on film that every time when the uh, wide receivers outside of the numbers, like right on the numbers but outside, there was a slant. So, I just play inside technique, make sure he don't beat me across the face, and then soon I look, boy, I just seen the ball in the air, and I just went up and got it. And that one, I think, led to the first touchdown. Then you get another opportunity, or maybe the second touchdown. That that led to Nooney's, uh, the post pattern of Nooney, made it 14-7. Then you get a pick six shortly later, so walk us through that one. Yeah, uh, you know, I just, we came in, uh, you know, they came in with a lot of bunch sets, so, you know, I just played outside leverage. Uh, I broke on the first out route, and then I read the quarterback eyes, and I seen him looking at another out route, so I just jumped that one, next one. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't being a robot. I just found the ball, and, you know, I just went on and scored with it like I wanted to do. You guys affected the game. Obviously, a lot of sacks, four forced turnovers. I know this is a proud group, especially given the way this year went. You know, what kind of feeling of pride do you have right now in the fact that you guys have rebounded here at the end of the season? Yeah, first of all, you know, I just want, I'm just i just blessed to be a part of this big rivalry game, four State versus uh, UF every year. So, you know, just coming in and winning five straight, you know, it's, it's just a blessing, you know, uh, a lot of people doubted us, fans gave up on us, but, you know, we just kept on fighting, and we know what type, type of team we have. So, you know, we wanted to come out here and show what we can do, uh, you know, and just come out and win, and that's, that's what we did. I know it wasn't the uh, ultimate goal at the start of the year, but uh, you still got a chance to get to a bowl. So how do you make sure you don't celebrate this one too much and you can come out and play just as hard next week? Yeah, you know, it, you know, we we know what we want, uh, and we know we have to win this next game to be bowl eligible. So, you know, we're not going to over, over be happy, but, you know, we're just going to come in there and work this week and then have the same mentality that we had today uh, coming into the game Saturday. Congratulations on the picks and the win. Thank you. Congratulations there. He's responsible for two of the four turnovers. By the way, I know last week was Delaware State, but this is two straight weeks that FSU has uh, accounted for two non-offensive touchdowns in each game. You had the block field goal and the and the pick six last week, 
This week you get uh, a pick six and you get a fumble return for a touchdown. That helps, especially when your offense is not as proficient as what you're accustomed to. It, it's all part of the process. And if you go back and look at Florida State's championship teams, uh, they were teams that defensively would create turnovers, and candidly, they would score with them. They didn't. They didn't even wait for the offense to take a short field and put points on the go on the board. Uh, I really think that this defense is beginning to find itself and understand its role. Uh, they were playing so um, selfishly and so individualistically. Uh, if that's even a proper word, early in the season. They're now playing collectively. Uh, we mentioned it. I'll mention it again. It starts with that defensive front. I thought Naughty and Christmas uh, had great ball games against Florida. Uh, you commented uh, from the sideline during the ball game that the, the coaching staff, Odell Higgins, who's in charge of those tackles, got the second and third teamers in there earlier in the ball game. It wasn't a, an extremely hot or humid day in Florida uh, in, in Gainesville, but it, but it was warm. And, and there were, the fatigue was an issue uh, that they were worried about. So they got the second and third team in there in the rotation earlier than we'd seen. There was no drop-off. Uh, you know, Freddie and, and, and Wilson and, and those guys were, were just as effective as the first-teamers. And, and I thought it was a great game plan, a great uh, call by Odell to do that. And it started up front, and then everybody else pitched in. I want to mention Brian Burns here because the first part of the year, now Brian went on record, I think, in the preseason as saying he wants to get the all-time FSU sack record. And obviously he's not come close to that this year. So he was sort of maligned because he talked the game and, and a lot of folks thought maybe he wasn't uh, walking the walk as well. But if you look back at the last month, think about the game he had at Clemson, forcing two fumbles, recovering another, all those tackles for loss. He sort of did it again yesterday. He forced the fumble that, that led to the first score. He had some big plays. He's so long and quick that he can rush the passer. He, he's, he's responsible for a lot of those PBUs you're talking about, those deflections. He can chase down a back in the backfield. You can put him out in coverage, and he's just a sophomore. I mean, we're starting to see Brian Burns. Well, the thing about Brian is you saw him last year with the nine sacks, nine and a half sacks, whatever it was. Did I mention he blocks kicks, too? Yeah, but last year he only played on third down. He was a specialist. Now he's playing on all three downs. And you mentioned those stats. To be factual, he had two and a half tackles for a loss, which included one and a half sacks. You mentioned the forced fumble, two PBUs, and um, his run support is probably the thing that Charles Kelly and Coach Lawling would tell you that they're most proud of. We all pay, focus in on the big plays, on the, on, the, on the plays when he gets his hand on the ball and when he, he forces those fumbles. But the ability to keep leverage on the run, to force a run, uh, to make a tackle in a running game, those are the things that get the coaches excited because those are base plays. you got to make those before you even get the opportunity to do the splash plays, and he has so improved in that regard. Three-down player, you can play him in any down, and he can be effective for you. Our obligatory conversation about Derwin James this week. As the young safeties have come on, this is a continuing theme from the last month, Florida State has moved Derwin basically to a linebacker position on third down, where sometimes he blitzes, sometimes he covers a back or a tight end into the backfield. But they've put A.J. Westbrook and Cyrus Fagan, or maybe it's Hamza and Azraldeen back there, and they've allowed Derwin to impact plays more. And the very first drive of the ball game, it was his pressure on a third and whatever it was that uh, led to an incompletion and forced the first punt. So his numbers weren't gaudy yesterday, but he continues to, to play well. No sacks, but he did have two uh, quarterback hurries. 
Uh, he had a touch or uh, interception that he dropped. He'll be the first to tell you. Uh, well, it's one of the things about Derwin. He he can be as self-critical in, in his evaluation of his play as anyone. Uh, the thing that has impressed me about Derwin is he's become more and more important and more and more um, big time as the game has gotten older and older. Uh, yeah, he did that on the first series, but you go back and look in the series in the third and the fourth quarter, and wherever the ball was, Derwin is around. They did a lot of the dime rabbit. Uh, and they would use him at the linebacker position or put his hand in the dirt and let him rush. And uh, he's so versatile. He's so athletic. Uh, he, he, he creates uh, an aura about him where offenses have to account for him. They have to account for him. They have to know where three is or, or they're going to end up running right into his strengths. Uh, he played a well of a ball game. He doesn't have the stats, Tommy that maybe all of us thought he would have as declared the, you know, the number one college player in America by Sports Illustrated. But trust me, at the next level, the NFL scouts and the folks that are interested in drafting him, and he will be a very, a very high draft pick. They know what he's capable of, even if those gaudy stats are not behind his name in 2017. Florida State gets the big win over the University of Florida, five straight overall in the series, four straight in Gainesville. That has neither of those uh, feats has been achieved in the history of this series, which dates back to 1958. We'll step aside, come back, talk offense. This is Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Florida State 38, Florida 22. It sounds nice. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. That, by the way, ties the record for the most points ever scored by FSU at Florida Field, matching 38 points scored uh, when Chris Ricks hit P.K. Sam in that memorable 03 game. So we'll take it. <laughs> that we will. And certainly going into the ball game, I don't think any of us uh, thought that they would, they, Florida State, would put up the 38 points. Now, to be fair, uh, you know, the defense had their share of them, so maybe if you back those out and you count just the offensive scores, maybe that's where we expected it to be. Uh, but we'll take all the points we can get anytime we can get them in Gainesville. All right, listeners to our show know that I tend to be glasses half full, and I'm going to go really half full here, but I think it's true. As I looked at the first half and watched it, so you had a ball that hits Auden Tate in the hands that would have been a first down that comes out of his hands and ends up being an interception. You have a really nice corner route thrown to Nooney that Nooney catches, and then he gets lit up by the safety, and he drops it. Uh, you did have one well-schemed, well-called play by Jimbo where Auden was wide open on a rollout, and Blackman had time and should have hit him, and that would have been a 25-yard gain. And then in the running game, even though the yards were tough, a lot of those two- and three-yard gains, as I was looking up, there was no other support beyond where that tackle was made if Akers or Patrick had kept their balance. Uh, so I'm going a long way to say that even though the offense didn't put up a ton of yards, and part of that is because they had limited possessions with the defense scoring, I thought there were plays there. FSU didn't make all of them, but it, it was a pretty good scheme, pretty well-called game. The throwback to Izzo was nice. I thought Blackman performed better than what his final statistics were in that contest. Well, Blackman finished at 10 of 21. Uh, he was sacked two times, and I agree with you. Uh, I thought that if you, you know, we talk about it, and our fans are, are really, really tired of hearing about the inches, but it was inches. 
And I think part of the reason that Florida State struggled in that first half is figuring out how to attack this Florida defense with their safeties being so active. You mentioned the safety that dislodged the ball from Nooney Murray. You talk about those tackles after a two or three or four yard run. Those were safeties that were moving up quickly uh, to make tackles. So if, if there had been a wiggle, if there had been a missed tackle, if they'd run through an arm tackle by any of the Florida State backs, it'd have been a 60, 70 yard sprint. There's no question. The reason those plays were being made was Florida's secondary, particularly their safeties. And we knew going in that this was a Florida defense that was talented. Uh, the last couple of years, this has been a defense for Florida that's been nationally ranked. Not necessarily the case this year, but that doesn't mean the scheme was wrong. doesn't mean they don't have players. Florida State did a little better job in the second half attacking that. Uh, Jacobs Patrick ended up uh, with uh, 67 yards of rushing. Uh, Cam Akers had 34. By my count, that's 101. So you got uh, right at 100 yards from your two main carriers. Uh, and uh, and Jacquez Patrick's uh, average was four and a half. You'll take that any day, day of the week. But again, the safety play of Florida is what dictated a lot of that. A lot of that. And you saw some offensive adjustments at halftime. Second, uh, excuse me, third and fourth quarter. FSU a little better in their offensive attack. The other, well, maybe not the third quarter. The third quarter, Florida State, you know, the field got tilted against them from a field position standpoint, and Jimbo's been very conservative, and we understand why with Blackman back there when he's backed up. The other thing that happened, though, is twice, once in the first half, once in the second half, just as Florida State got the ground game going behind Patrick, he left the game with injuries, and that halted the offense. They had a nice drive moving the ball in the second quarter. He came out with an injury, and things slowed. Same thing happened in the in the second half at one point which is a, a way of saying that Patrick ran tough. He ran hard yesterday. 67 yards, I don't think, explain how key he was to that win. He had three receptions, which were also very key. One in particular over the middle for a first down on a third and long. No, I think you go back and grade his performance. He's going to grade out very high. I think some people at first blush are going to be a little disappointed in Cam because he didn't produce as much. But a lot of the runs that they used Cam on were right into Florida's defense. Uh, instead of running right at him, they were trying to get outside and use his quickness as his speed. Uh, that just doesn't real work real well against that Florida front. Uh, and we can be you know, ultra-critical about Jimbo's play calling and that type of thing, but you, you're right. In the third quarter, they were backed up a lot, got very conservative. Um, but when Florida State was clicking, clicking that running game, and then they were used, able to use the play action, uh, there were some interesting and, and very creative calls in there that Florida State took advantage of and able to move the ball offensively. I was pleased, not overly excited, not, not ready to give uh, a maximum kudos, but I was pleased with the effort by the offense. I thought they did enough to win. You couple that with a great defensive effort, and, and you get the victory. Let's take a listen to Jaquez Patrick, who uh, remains unbeaten against the Gators in his career, as all these Seminoles do. Here's Jaquez after the big win yesterday. As I'm talking with Jaquez Patrick, how's it feel to be a part of history and knowing that you beat the Gators again five in a row? Man, it's, it's a blessing. You know, you never take these type of things for granted, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you never know what time, you know, what time ends, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, man, it's just a blessing, like I said earlier, to do it, accomplish this, you know, you know, after going through everything we went through this year. And, man, I'm just so, you know, so part, happy to be a part of this team, man. Guys fight, you know, won't give up. Man, it's just a blessing. Tell us what the offensive game plan was today. Obviously, the yards were hard to come by. I mean, that was a physical game. But what were you hoping to accomplish uh, as you, you know, kick things off today? I'll just be physical, man. We want to be physical. You know, uh, we felt like we had, we had, we, um, that was on our side. You know, coming into the game, and that's what we did. You know, we had to get those physical yards. And man, 
Uh, I just, you know, it's just right out to the old line. You know, the coaches uh, putting us in good positions to make plays. You know, and when plays need to be made, we made them. And that, that's the biggest thing. You know, we came out victorious. And, I, you know, it's just, that's what it is. Unfortunately, you had to come out a couple of times in the game. Uh, obviously, you went back in. But that was right when the offense started to click. And then you got dinged a time or two. Obviously, you're okay. But what, what, what got hurt? Uh, just uh, first, the first one was like a little ankle. Then my my um, second was like my hip, like my right leg. Yeah, it's just you know what I'm saying. I mean, for me, it was it was by any means. You know what I'm saying. Find a way, find a way. I didn't I, I didn't care, man. If I could walk, if I could run, I was gonna be out there, man. That was that was that was the way for me today, man. I wasn't. I, I don't care, man. I had, to, I had to I had to help this team, you know, any way possible today, man. It just came up big, man. They supported me, you know, coach. You know, coach put the ball in my hands. You know, I just tried to you know deliver every time. A couple weeks ago, Jimbo said we got three steps left. You got to win three games: beat Delaware State, beat Florida. So you got two of them. How do you make sure you get one more next week? Oh yeah, we just go out there and do what we do. You know, go out there and practice hard on Monday. You know, execute our get um, you know the game plan you know, throughout the week, and then go out there and get um, get a victory against um, Louisiana Monroe. You know, one thing we didn't talk about, and Jimbo talks about situational football. Well, after the Matthew Thomas miscue, the miscue being that he celebrated before he was in the end zone. And then the 15-yard penalty that pushed the ball to the 16. FSU actually wound up further back. Jaquez Patrick made a really nice run to get a first down that kept that drive going. Ultimately, on a third down, you get the throw to Auden Tate, which was the same exact play that FSU ran to win the national title against Auburn when they threw it to Benjamin. And so that was a situation where you had a two-score lead at 15 points. A field goal was going to get you a three-score lead, but let's just go ahead and score and finish the Gators. And they did it, which is to their credit. Very much so. And, again, you go back and look at that third down run by Patrick. I think he had to get just inside the five-yard line. And he got down on the sideline. He was pressured, leveraged by two Florida defenders. And he had been running high. And William Floyd had been commented during the ball game up in the booth that he would like to see him get his pads down. And maybe just maybe he could run through some of those arm tackles that were bringing him down after four- and five-yard runs. Well, that particular play had two Florida defenders got him pretty well leveraged he put his pads down and he he actually split them and and got inside that five yard line got down to four and a half for that first down and that was key really key because uh, i'm not sure that momentum would have really swung you're a big believer and you and i've talked about this you're a big believer that if you've got an opportunity to go up by three scores and that and that includes a field goal that you should use that well, I'm a big believer in, in, in killing an axe, uh, a fly with an axe. I wanted seven on that drive, and they ultimately ended up getting it with that throw to, 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 to tape. Well, I do sit next to Jimbo on Sundays when we tape his TV show, and he talks a lot about going up three scores, and I'm sure that's what he'll discuss today at that point. Uh, another thing, Jimbo was very pleased with Blackman and the way he performed. He made a couple of throws in this game that were third reads that showed a sign of maturity to Jimbo that he had not seen yet this year. One of them was the throw to Ermon Lane, and credit to Ermon, who moved back to offense and has made some big catches uh, here as he finishes up his career at FSU. Uh, a, a good throw to Tate, again, for a second straight week. So credit to Blackman there. Again, going back to where we started, he was 10-21, Pretty easy. There also was a throw to Nooney that was a catch that the officials wiped out. Pretty easily, he could have been 14 for 21, I think, and that's conservative based on some drops. Very much so. And again, I know he's played 10 games now. Uh, we don't consider him a freshman. He's now a sophomore, but he's uh, he's a sophomore starting for Florida State. Uh, he's got limited starts under his belt. He's continuing to learn. Uh, Jimbo is continuing to understand how to call plays for him. Uh, he still, you know, occasionally holds the ball too long, 
he did take a couple of hits uh, in the ball game against Florida yesterday that I thought uh, were were where they could have thrown fouls. I think there was one that was actually called um, uh, roughing the passer. Uh, those are the little things, the, the half a second, the quarter of a second in his decision-making that he'll continue to get better at. But he showed some great poise uh, and some great, great ability to make plays. That that pass to Erwin Lane, Jimbo commented in postgame, that was his third read. You know, it, it looked like he went right to it. But you go back and think about it and study it. He looked way to the right. He was checked down to his right. And then he took a, a, a look to his left and saw Irma on, on, a, on a streak route and hit him right in stride. I mean, that was a very, very great uh, sequence of going through progression and finding an open receiver. And credit to Lane, that was a difficult catch that he made look rather routine. Florida State gets the win. The offense uh, wasn't great. It hasn't been great this year, but it was certainly good enough in a tough place to play against a, a team that's got a lot of good athletes on that defense. So FSU gets the win. We'll come back. Got a lot of things to clean up. We can talk bowl scenarios, talk a little Louisiana Monroe. We'll talk about the officiating in this game, uh, all that and more. Uh, after I remind you that uh, any day of the week that uh, you're thinking, you know what, I don't feel like cooking dinner tonight. How about we head to Kush's? It's uh, on Thomasville Road. Uh, just past Cary Forest, left-hand side, open seven days a week, five days a week, Wednesday through Sunday for uh, breakfast or brunch. Great food, kid-friendly. Uh, they uh, have been catering for the coaching staff for Florida State every Sunday all season long, so the coaches are enjoying Kusha's today. I encourage you to do the same thing. We'll come back and uh, put the wraps on Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday right after this. Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Florida State celebrating a win over the Florida Gators. KJ, FSU goes to 5-6. and six. They get Louisiana Monroe this week. Hold that thought just a second. I want to mention this about the officials. So, if you'll recall, if you're a fan of this rivalry, you know or you'll remember the 2003 game that we referenced earlier there were some controversial calls in there. Florida fans were upset. That was at the time that the visiting team's refs would accommodate would, would accompany the team to the stadium. So those were ACC refs when FSU played at Florida, SEC refs in Tallahassee. Because of that game, they changed it to do away with the appearance that the visiting team was bringing its refs with them. So now the home team gets its conference refs. So those were SEC officials. I thought as the game started, I appreciated the fact that they let them play. They weren't going to call everything. They weren't going to say because your right pinky might have hit the guy's face mask that maybe we should call targeting, and I liked it. But as the game went on, they missed some targeting calls, and and so I'm sort of hedging my bet by saying that they almost let them play too much. It got a little chippy at times, and part of that's because they let them get so physical that they didn't call it. And and what happens there, if you've never been down on that field, you get a feel for what the officials are letting you get away with. And if they're going to let you get away with the opponent hitting you and then you hit him back, because normally the second guy gets flagged, well, if they're not flagging the second guy, then I'm going to hit him first time and third time. And that's what ended up happening. In fact, we had a Florida State player ejected uh, for multiple unsportsmanlike fouls on the same play. Now, later it was clarified that that was a mistake, but nevertheless, there was an ejection for two flags, two unsportsmanlike calls on one player on one play. I like when the officials do let them play, but that's a, another key reason why that, that replay official is important. He's up there looking at everything, 
and he has the ability to stop the game and take a few extra seconds to review some things. I was disappointed in the replay official in, in, in Gainesville. I thought there was at least two times, two times, when he should have buzzed down said, hey, hey, I need 10 more seconds. I need to look at this. And there should have been some targeting fouls called from the booth that were missed on the field. It was noticeable to me that it's a different point of emphasis in the ACC or a different threshold looking at that game because the ACC would have had four or five stoppages and potential player ejection based on targeting. Just a difference in the way it's officiated. We don't have time to get into it now. This is one of the reasons why I'm in favor of nationalized officials so that everybody calls the game the same way. I did like the fact that even you know they review every score in the ACC. I feel like they come on and say after further review the call stands. They didn't do that here. They just went ahead and waved it, and they went ahead and kicked, so which saved a little bit of time. So I appreciated that. All right, enough about the officials. Florida State won the game. Let's talk bowl scenario. The Knolls have to win. Up, oh, you want to add something? I do. Before we talk about that, because I want to get this plug in for my favorite bank. Uh, let's take the time now for the prime meridian performance of the game, and I'm going to give it to Florida State's defense. We've done this one other time during the ball game when it has not been an individual. It's been a unit. Uh, I'm going to give the, the prime meridian bank performance of the game to the Florida State defense. They held Florida 280 yards. They scored on their own. Uh, they, uh, they created turnovers, and, and Charles Kelly and his group, I think, redeemed themselves just a little bit, hopefully in the minds of most Florida State faithful. If you're shopping for a home mortgage, try my bank for the best rate the first time. Prime Meridian Bank, Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at trymybank.com. Prime Meridian Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, NMLS number 393620. PMB. I apologize for taking your moment in the sun there. Now let's talk Louisiana Monroe, and I don't know anything about ULM at this point. I do know Florida State plays them at 12 noon on Saturday. I do know that if FSU gets fat and happy and thinks, hey, we beat the Gators, they'll lose the game. So they better come to play, but they have done that the last two weeks. I do think we'll see a focused effort from Florida State. I do expect them to get a win on Saturday and become bowl eligible. Well, I do know that technically, or at least figuratively, not technically, that ULM played in a basketball game yesterday. I think they were beaten by Arkansas State uh, 65 to 50. So we know they can give up points and they can score some points. Uh, I didn't double check. I hope I'm right. I hope that wasn't really a basketball game that I saw the score to. Uh, I believe it was the football game. Uh, it's a game that uh, you know should have been played in week number two of the season. Uh, certainly you would have had a much better uh, feel for your club if you've been able to play that game in game number two. Uh, as it is, and all the naysayers and all the ones that want to make fun or, or, or critique Florida State's de de decision to play this game, well, I, I, they can just go, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, it's a game FSU has to play. It's a game that FSU should play. I hope our fans will turn out. I hope the kids will realize the importance of it. Uh, by winning that game, you do continue potentially, and we think almost emphatically, that bowl consecutive uh, parent streak. Uh, you certainly have a great shot at continuing that non-losing season consecutive streak, and, and it's just important for the program. Uh, let's do this for the program. Uh, let's don't worry about what it looks like for 2017. Let's do this for Florida State University and their football program for, for years and decades uh, later on when we reflect back on it. And, and I think the kids appreciate that. I think they'll be ready to play, uh, and I think they'll come out and they'll perform well. That's what I expect. Again, a 12 noon kick. By the way, that game on ACC a Network Extra, I believe, uh, this weekend. All right, so here's the bowl situation. Everybody I talk to at Florida State, off the record is telling me 
that Jacksonville wants FSU if they're bowl eligible. Jacksonville is the Tax Slayer Bowl, formerly the Gator Bowl. It's December 30th at 12 noon. And I think the great likelihood, or the likelihood, maybe not great, the likelihood is that if Florida State wins, that's where they'll go. But here's the way it works in the ACC. You've got the CFP Bowls, then you have Tier 1 Bowls, then you have Tier 2 Bowls. Duke got bowl eligible yesterday. Georgia Tech did not. So I think the ACC has nine bowl eligible teams. It may be ten. But you start with, the, I call them CFP bowls. They're actually the New Year's Six Bowl. Clemson at this point is going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl, either in the playoff if they win this week or a New Year's Six Bowl if they lose. Miami, we don't know. If they win, they're in a New Year's Six Bowl. If they lose, having just lost to Pitt, they could drop out of a New Year's Six. I don't think so. I think they're still going to be in a New Year's Six as we're recording this, we don't know what Notre Dame did against Stanford. We need Notre Dame to get in the New Year's Six Bowl, too, because if they do not, they can take one of the ACC's bowl spots. So in this scenario, I'm going to assume that Clemson, Miami, Notre Dame are all in New Year's Six Bowl games. That's good for FSU, because that means they're not in the other ACC tie-in bowls. So then you move down. The ACC gets an extra bowl slot if the Orange Bowl takes a Big Ten team. In that scenario, then the ACC gets a team in both of the bowls that are played in Orlando. If the Big Ten does not go to the Orange Bowl, then the ACC loses that. That's important, too, because the way the system works, teams that are at least two games better than you are have to go to the higher bowl. So, for example, Louisville won. The, won. Uh, they got to, not, not Louisville, I beg your pardon, uh, NC State, Wake Forest. If they're two wins better than Florida State, FSU can't jump them when they come down to bowls. Bottom line, you get to the Tier 1 ACC bowls, which includes the Tax Slayer Bowl and a handful of others. And it's not a pecking order there so much as the bowls jointly discuss it and say, look, if we put FSU here in Jacksonville, they're going to sell tickets. If we put NC State and Charlotte in the Belk Bowl, they're going to sell tickets. And then El Paso stands up and says, nobody's going to sell tickets here. Who are you sticking with us? Or however that conversation goes. I do think it, it's not unlikely that Florida State would end up in Jacksonville. I, I think to boil down that, which you, you've done the time and the research, and thank you for, 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 for looking into that. Clear as mud, probably the way I just described it. Well, I, I think two things. Number one, if the Orange Bowl does take someone from the Midwest, I think that shifts Florida State's focus from Jacksonville to Orlando. Uh, and I think Orlando might become the landing spot. However, the one big thing that we've got to remember about Jacksonville, and this does play into it once you get into the bowls talking amongst themselves, is uh, Florida State's president is from the city of Jacksonville. And nothing would make uh, Thrasher, President Thrasher, happy than to be playing a bowl game in his home city. And to whatever degree his political and uh, presidential influence sway comes into play, uh, I think if I was a betting man right now, I would bet on being in uh, Jacksonville on December 30th and a noon kick. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. And we'll see how much gets out about which bowl wants what team this week. Uh, ultimately, we'll know after the, certainly we'll know 3.30 on Saturday if FSU is bowl eligible by virtue of whether or not they beat Louisiana Monroe. Sunday is when everything will be set, the final college football playoff rankings, and we'll know for sure about FSU's uh, bowl situation if they are go, going bowling. The good news is, they do have 364 more days of bragging rights over Florida. We've been doing this way too long, Tommy, because I was going to grab that microphone for a minute and just tell you, look, this is day one of 365 of good days. He's Keith. I'm Tom. 
It'll be day four of 365 of Good Days when we talk to you again on Wednesday at 6. So long, folks.